In public, Concordia University leaders pretended nothing was wrong just days before they announced the private Lutheran school that's called Northeast Portland Home for more than a century would close this spring. They held a fundraiser. The rapper Common attended. They raised more than 300000 bucks. But things were wrong. For years, an internal document showed the school's long-term relationship with a private company was more than problematic. Concordia may have owed the company as much as $400 million. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with investigative reporters Molly Young and Jeff Manning about the decade-long relationship between Concordia and Hot Chalk, a California-based education technology company. Their reporting shows that relationship was even closer than the school led on. And in many ways, it was difficult to determine just how deep the connections went. Jeff and Molly, thank you so much for taking time uh, to talk about your latest story on Concordia and its closure. It's pretty impressive stuff. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be here. Thank you. So what have you been doing in the weeks since Concordia sort of shocked the higher ed world here in Oregon in terms of your reporting? It is another in a series of colleges to go down in Oregon, uh, and that's where we spend a good deal of the of the time. Merrill Hurst, Oregon College of Arts and Craft, and now Concordia, uh, the biggest of the lot, five thousand more than five thousand students, and uh, so it's a it's a tough situation facing the colleges, all of them, public included. But there, there was another story that uh, we wanted to get to, and that, that was very Concordia focused on what were the reasons for the shutdown. And Molly, a lot of this centers on reporting that you broke several years ago. Take folks back a little bit to um, your reporting uh, on Concordia back in twenty. 20- 16, I believe. In 2016, I was a watchdog reporter for the Oregonian, and I had just attended a seminar for reporters about financial reporting, and they encouraged us to look at 990 um, filings, which are the nonprofit filings that they must uh, make each year Mm -hmm. in order because they don't pay taxes. And when I looked at Concordia's filings, it was really incredible because what they showed was that a significant share of their revenue, as much as 50%, was going to a single company. And that launched us onto a kind of a months-long reporting project to figure out what Concordia's relationship was with this company, and that company was called Hot Chalk. Yeah, and how how unusual is it for a university to have 50% half of their revenue go to a private company? What we found was it was extremely unusual. Um, Hot Chalk was working with Concordia to launch online degree programs. And specifically, Concordia um, has been around for a century, and it started as a teacher's college, mm-hmm. really became a teacher's college. So they launched online education degree programs. And Hot Chalk was handling um, enrollment and recruitment services for Concordia. But among Concordia's peers, um, other small colleges that were really trying to get into the online college game, none had a contract at all similar to what Concordia's deal was with Concordia. 
hot chalk, excuse me. Yeah, it, so it was, a, it was an outlier then, and um, obviously it only became more problematic for the university, as as your reporting found. Um, you obtained some financial documents that paint an even more stark picture of the issues facing Concordia. Can you describe what you learned um, and kind of what those documents show? Well, it showed that uh, Concordia became more and more dependent on Hotchock. Hotchock was, uh, they were in charge of recruiting. They were in charge of enrollment. They were in charge of the online programs. They they brought in teachers. They were in charge of handling curriculum and the actual instructors. It was a, a remarkable sort of abdication, I thought, of uh, the traditional role of a university. Mm-hmm. And Students, by and large, didn't know it. They, they all identified themselves as Concordia employees. Yeah, so you're getting a phone call from a prospective uh, recruiter. It's, it's hot shock. You're getting something in the mail that's trying to recruit you to sign up for a master's program. That's also coming from hot shock? We believe so. Yeah. And, uh, and they, to the bitter end, uh, they were recruiting, recruiting hard. Uh, we talked to... Uh, a doctoral candidate who signed up in December of ni- of 2019 handed over 22 grand, and uh, you know, less than two months later, they shut down. So, how did you get these documents? I know that reporting, <laughs> we we have our sources sometimes, but um, this particular cache of documents that led to your reporting here are pretty unbelievable. How did you get those? Well, I think that there was. Uh, there was obviously a lot of anger on the campus uh, when they announced the shutdown. Um, 1,500 jobs going away. About uh, 350 to 400 of them were full-time university gigs. And, uh, you know, I think that there was uh, some desire. to. Some, there was some sentiment that the administration had never been straight with the world about what caused this downfall. And uh, the, the, some of them wanted the truth out. How extensive was the ultimate relationship with Hotchock? How much money, um, you know, did Concordia potentially owe the company um, from the documents that you've seen? So Concordia worked with Hotchock for, you know, roughly a decade or so. And over the course of the decade, just the public um, 990 filings, those nonprofit filings, show that Hotchock received, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, um, right around probably a little north of $200 million. But these last few years, enrollment started declining in line with just national demographic trends. And so that really put the crunch on Concordia's relationship with Hotchock, which was predicated really on enrollment never stopping growing. And so in 2018, they really took a hard look at how they could survive, and and that is really what some of the most interesting financial documents we found were. And Jeff, do you want to talk about a, a specific one? Like we said, there was a pile of paper here, and uh, it's hard to understand a lot of it. And we didn't have some documents that would that we hope would have provided more context, more background. But there was one document in particular that stood out. Uh, it was a analysis of what would happen if the college were to just call it quits and close right. its doors. 
Um, they call it a, a liquidation analysis, and uh, there, there are some big numbers here. Um, the college, for instance, owed $41 million to the, uh, to the financial arm of the Lutheran Church that owned the college. But all the other obligations absolutely pale in comparison to the money that, that it claims it would have owed Hotshock in the case of liquidation, $400 million. Now, keep in mind that this is a college that is bringing in, bringing in over the years, even in the good years, total revenue was in the neighborhood of 120, 150 million. Now, mm-hmm. now it's down to 80 million. Uh, so, a 400 million dollar obligation is just like an avalanche. Eye-popping numbers, right? I mean, to, to even wrap your mind around for a school that, you know, in a sleepy little part of Northeast Portland, uh, given it's been around for a century, like Molly said, but I mean, this is not, um, you know, the national prestige of a Reed College, for example. Uh, this is kind of a, a sleepy little school. Well, uh, yeah, it certainly is. It's been around for more than 100 years, and I, I, I don't know how many people know it's even there. Um you know, it only has somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 students on campus. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of them are online. They could be from anywhere in the world, really. Yeah, it's a small place and uh, with small revenue numbers, and $400 million would have been, I don't know how they could have ever got there. Right before uh, Concordia announced uh, abruptly that it would close at the end of the semester, it held a fundraiser. I believe this was at the uh, new Hyatt um, Convention Center Hotel. The rapper and activist Common was there and was in town. Was the writing on the wall already? Uh, Did the school know that, you know, (laughs) we're holding this fundraiser, but the future's not good? Well, internally, there was more than a few signs. It was like a huge blinking billboard that's uh, we are in a financial crisis, and uh, our survival is at stake. We are suffering the cash crisis of all cash crises, and uh, it's going to be tough to pull out. you get a sense of why they did the fundraiser then? Just like grin and smile through it? Um, you know, it's inexplicable. And, you know, we don't know if they're going to keep the money or not. We've gotten mixed signals on that. But I was initially told they're keeping the money and it's going to go to scholarships and other other things in mm-hmm. the final semester of the college's existence. Let's maybe take a step back. What is Hotshock? <laughs> Where is it located? I mean, what can you tell us about the company other than, other than uh, its ties to Concordia? So Hotshock is also a West Coast company. They... Um, believe started in the Bay Area. At least that is where their executives have been. But their main kind of operation hub is in Phoenix. And from Phoenix, they work on behalf of schools to help recruit and enroll students. It's almost a call center environment. Mm -hmm. I was actually um, there several years ago. And of course, it may have changed over time. But it just looks like a, a traditional call center environment where they work on those kind of marketing side services. Does it have relationships um, similar to the one it has with Concordia with other schools? It does have deals with other schools. We did not find any that are at all comparable in yeah. scope or size. Can you give us a sense of what these other schools are, if you if you know? Some of the other schools are other sister schools to Concordia. Okay. 
and um, I believe NYU also works with Hot Chalk as well. What did Hot Chalk do for Concordia? That is really, you know, one of the the big questions and how that role changed over time. There is, um, there are federal laws that say what colleges must do, and that includes, you know, they need to set their own curriculum and mm-hmm. have their own faculty and things like that. And at no point can any outside contractor control over 51% of a degree program. And so that is the real question here. Did Hot Chalk's role change over time to include some of those faculty um, hiring decisions, payroll decisions? We think it did. Um, One of the documents we received was a 2014 risk analysis that showed that Concordia would have to take control of hiring faculty, rolling out some curriculum, Mm -hmm. actually making the financial aid decisions themselves instead of Hot Chalk. So at one point, it seems like Hot Chalk really did, um, you know, have quite a bit of control over the program. And that actually resulted in a uh, federal investigation. Where the parties agreed to pay, what, a million dollars? Yes, and admit no wrongdoing. Right. And so back, um, you mentioned 2014, there seemed to be an increasing relationship. But in 2016, the school told you that... Um, it never outsourced any of its education program to Hot Chalk, but at this point, you you two haven't been able to determine whether that's factual, right? I talked to a woman who worked for Hot Chalk, who recruited students. She became a teacher for Concordia, mm-hmm. and she she made no bones about it. She had gone to work for Hot Chalk, and she became. She never told anyone she was recruiting that that was mm-hmm. the case. And uh, when she became a, an instructor, a, again, it was, she was working for Hot Chalk, telling people she worked for Concordia. And they were really integrated at some point. Um, my 2016 reporting showed that there were Hot Chalk employees listed on Concordia's website, including Hot Chalk's chief education officer, who was listed as a decision maker for Concordia. And while I was reporting in 2016, her name was taken off of Concordia's roster. Yeah, that that kind of raises the eyebrow just a, a little bit. Well, you know, it's really it really raises eyebrows when you consider the recent history of the higher education world. Yeah. The the for-profit college came in, came into being and the you know there was Corinthian and all these companies that came that were publicly traded they really seemed like cynical attempts to get access to federal student loans right university of phoenix uh, itt tech you no, know phoenix the, phoenix yeah. is sort of the respectable right they're the uh, exception to the rule right. um this this scenario this model was a little bit different it it seemed like uh, it was a traditional nonprofit private college that was acting as a for-profit with because it had brought in a, a for-profit company mm-hmm. to to run much of the school and ultimately that relationship brought the school down there were a lot of things moving against Concordia they owed a bunch of money to the their parent church or to the financial arm of the Lutheran church mm-hmm. 
owed $41 million, and uh, they needed additional funds. They went to the church. The church initially said, okay, we're going to extend the $4 million line of credit, and we'll take some other steps to help you out, ease your cash flow crunch. And then they decided, some for some reason, between November and February, they changed their mind and yeah. said, okay, we're not going to do this after all. So that's publicly sort of the reasoning for the shutdown. Um, but clearly the obligation to hot chalk was way bigger than than the debt they owed the 46 million dollars yeah Yeah. um you know i'm 36 years old uh chuck schlimpert was president of concordia for 35 years um it's a long time especially in the higher ed world even a small school to to be the president have you been able to speak with him at all because he was he was around during this whole time obviously um have you been able to speak with him and what's his relationship if you've been able to determine with Hotshock? So we have not spoken with him um, either in 2016 or in more recent times. He retired, um, was it 2018? Mm-hmm. And he now lives near Phoenix. He recently purchased a house there. Mm-hmm. And we could not find you know any working numbers to reach him to comment on this story. However, as you mentioned, he he was in charge of the university for so long, and he was leading the university when they made the agreement with Hotchock. We talked about enrollment a little bit earlier. I mean, this this was never a big school in Portland. How big did it get online, and why was that problematic? It became quite large. I believe at one point there were, you know, Concordia might have enrolled around 10,000 students, you know, almost all of them online. Mm-hmm. And when they were doing that, which was in, you know, 14, 15, it really looked like the future was very bright for them. They were relying on teachers who needed master's of education degrees to get either full certification from their state licensing bodies or pay bumps from their local school districts. Mm-hmm. So they really foresaw that this stream of students would never end. But given some of the demographic challenges that we've been talking about, enrollment started drying up. And we have a presentation that was given to the church, I believe, um, last fall that showed that, you know, they were enrolling about half as many students per start. And they had start classes about once a month as they as they were in 14 and 15. And that was a problem because their relationship with Hotchock, which was providing a lot of these back-end services, Mm -hmm. was dependent on ever-growing enrollment because they agreed, um, based on these documents that we've seen, they agreed to share the tuition money that was brought in. And over time, Concordia got less of that tuition money and Hotchock got more to this past year where Hotchock was getting 51% of that money and Concordia was getting, you know, less than half. By 2024, Hotchock was going to get 66% of the money and Concordia would just get 33%. Wow. Which I guess, given those that revenue split, it's not altogether surprising that by uh, this fall uh, they were h- hiring lawyers and accountants to, among other things, look at bankruptcy or mm-hmm. uh, an orderly wind down, as they say, in the higher ed business. 
And so I guess I'm struck by the timing of this was it was both post-recession as well as like the boom of online education and then the factors that you mentioned, Molly, with the masters of education. So, I mean, all the stars were aligned for a little while and then that quickly demographically, I guess, the number of students in the pipeline faded as well. Yes, but their, you know, share of financial commitment kept growing. And so we have a... And also from the church presentation, um, a slide showing its cash flow issue where its cash reserves eroded from $11 million in 2015 mm-hmm. when times were good to just $2 million two years later. And to make up that gap, they had to open credit lines with that financial branch of the church as well. So not only did they now owe long-term debt to the church, they also owed these owed on these short-term right. credit lines. And they were also building on campus. <laughs> we haven't talked about that. They were building on campus. Um, they were building housing off campus, right? I mean, they were they had their hands in so many cookie jars at this time. One of the really odd developments as they're going along, and it uh, becomes clear that they are headed for a financial crunch due to these demographic changes and enrollment declines. They launched this expansion campaign. Uh, they build their athletic program. Mm-hmm. They build new buildings. Um, again, it's just sort of confusing to the outsider how they thought that that was a good idea. And, and in fact, when uh, the new guy came in, Tom Reese, mm-hmm. the sort of caretaker to shut things down, he he developed this plan uh, where there are two options, shut down or remain open but in a radically different way and the first line item on that plan was to get rid of sports all sports right and, after uh, expanding right, dramatically right yeah. right and uh you know to be strict almost strictly an online college at that point uh and de-emphasize traditional the traditional yeah. campus jeff why do you why do you think this story matters uh, well, for one thing, there are uh, 5,400 students who, in good faith, signed up for for classes up there, and they feel used and abused at this point, that no one bothered to inform them that the place was on the verge of a financial cliff, and uh, it's hard not to sympathize with them. Uh, in a more broad sense, every college in this country is facing similar stresses, and we're going to see more colleges shut down. We're going to see more students thrown into the lurch. And, uh, you know, the demographic trends uh, are really tough. You think that narrative still holds of the demographic trends um, being a huge role here? Or is this more of a self-inflicted wound by attaching yourself too closely to a private company? Or a little bit of both? It's probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, this financial relationship, every, you know, the totality of the documents we've seen, which do not include the actual contract itself, that's one thing we've never seen. But it's very clear that they um, were forecasting on growth, that they, in order for this to work, they needed to keep enrolling more and more students. And they wanted to be the number one provider Mm -hmm. of master's of education degrees in the U.S. 
Um, well, let's take a break. Uh, we lost Jeff because he's headed to another story. Uh, our senior investigative reporter never stops. Um, but Molly and I will come back with a couple more thoughts on the Concordia story. Molly, uh, I know that Concordia was not um, very open and, and responsive previously to your reporting. Um, what has the reaction been uh, as you and, and Jeff uh, approached them about this story? Have they cooperated? Have they spoken with you? What's the reaction been? So this has been a, a really fast developing story um, reported really over the course of just a few days uh, since we received these documents. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, Tom Reese, the interim president, he immediately agreed to a sit-down interview with us in which he gave us 45 minutes of time and and really talked through some of these challenges the university was facing. Many of the documents that we discussed were created before he joined the university. Mm-hmm. He started in January. So he felt like he didn't necessarily have all all of the context that was necessary to speak to them, but he, you know, he was clear that he would not um, really discuss hot chalk in detail because, it, in his mind and in anyone else's um, view from Concordia, it is a proprietary relationship. So they are, you know, just obligated that they can't say much about the university's deal. What have you heard from students? Um, you know, I know there was a Twitter kind of explosion when uh, news broke of the school closing. Um, but what have you heard um, in terms of what people are thinking of, of this development, either current or former students? Students are just, you know, really disappointed and and shocked. Um, you know, some students even spoke during that fundraiser. They either spoke during the fundraiser or they helped out. Um and to go from just a few days later, uh, you know, raising money for this university they loved to then knowing that they need to find somewhere else to finish out their degrees, you know, that's incredibly um, heartbreaking. And there are also some questions about, you know, are universities going to accept their full Concordia credits. Um, you know, some universities don't allow transfer credits mm. over a certain percentage point. Right. So if it's, you know, if you're almost graduated <laughs> and you can't have those credits accepted at your next institution, you're, you're going backwards and you're taking on a bigger financial hardship too. Right. What does Concordia's kind of incredible financial problems mean for the proposed sale of this 24-acre campus, you know, that's right in the heart of a neighborhood that's, is the neighborhood named after the school or vice versa? I don't, I don't know the story there. The neighborhood is named after the school. Okay. Yes. So the school, all of its sister schools, I believe are also named Concordia. Right. So it preceded it. You know, the sale will be, you know, the next big story because all of the internal documents we've seen show that the school's liabilities, even excluding that huge possible obligation to hot chalk, exceed the assets that they have. There may be some litigation. Um, yeah. They may be forced into bankruptcy. It's really going to be the next thing that we're going to watch what will, what will happen. 
and a whole neighborhood will be watching too, and a whole, really a whole city. <laughs> I mean, this was a, it's a big deal. Right. And in a city facing a housing crisis and all of these, um, you know, on-campus housing units are going to, to be up for sale and, and can they be a solution, at least in part, to um, the housing crunch the city is facing? Um, it will definitely be something we'll be following. Really tremendous reporting. Thank you for taking the time and explaining it. And uh, we'll stay tuned for whatever comes next. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Read Molly and Jeff's story in the episode notes or on OregonLive.com. We've been doing this podcasting thing since October, and we've got a great number of episodes you can listen to. So subscribe and check them out. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or review. It helps others find the show. Until next time.